Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up another week of our new reality dealing with COVID-19. We hope you are safe and well. Please be careful. Take all the precautions you can. And as we start to not only look ahead to restarting an economy, we're still looking at the challenges facing the ag economy and uh, those in agriculture really Uh, struggling with uh, the impact of COVID-19 as we wait for USDA's announcement on their decisions on some type of uh, relief and assistance. We'll be talking about that in just a moment. Also today, we're going to talk weather with Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. And we're going to look at uh, the dairy industry. Mark Stevenson, Director of Dairy Policy Analysis for the University of Wisconsin-Madison, will be joining us in a bit. Uh, I just uh, had a conversation with a friend of mine who is a banker, and he said he's been very busy processing uh, these applications for the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP, which is now out of money, of course, so that's on hold, waiting to see if Congress is going to put more money into that program. But I asked my friend, I said, how was that going? Uh, was there a lot of interest in it, a lot of uh, requests and applications? He said yes. In fact, some that uh, they could not get to before the fund ran out of money, they're kind of on a waiting list now. And he said that really for a government program, even with the the regulations, the oversight, the requirements that go along with it, he said it's gone pretty smoothly and it really was not all that complicated, so it's gone well. You know, 75% of that uh, money goes uh, for employees, for keeping them on payrolls and and keeping them uh, with income. 25% of the money goes to employee-related expenses. And uh, my friend said uh, he thinks this is a very important part of getting our economy back up and going, keeping it going through this and then getting it back up and going again. So we're anxiously watching to see what Congress does if they put more money into that fund. But I thought it was interesting. First time I've had a chance to talk with a banker specifically about that Paycheck Protection Program and how it's working. And he said he did have a number of ag businesses uh, applying for uh, uh, for those funds as well. So it is an important part of this ongoing effort to deal with COVID-19. Well, maybe we'll be finding out soon about USDA's plans for further assistance uh, for agriculture. Let's bring in Phil Brasher from AgriPulse Communications. Phil, thanks for joining us. Good to talk with you. We keep hearing something's going to be coming out of USDA. Is it going to happen today, you think? Well, we were hearing that, uh, and then uh, late yesterday, uh, hearing that it uh, may slip past today. But uh, there was there was a lot of expectations that it might be this morning, and then later in the day. But by uh, late yesterday, uh, what I was uh, what I was hearing is that uh, it may slip and beyond beyond. We know that there's a there's a lot that they've got to pull together. Yeah, there's uh, so much more need than there is money to address it. And 
really about every sector of agriculture, I guess, of making requests or recommendations to USDA. So um, have you got any leak or is there any word kind of coming out that what form it might take? Is it uh, a lot of purchases of commodities or direct payments or, or what are you hearing? It's going to be a combination of both, direct payments and purchases. I think uh, uh, almost certainly much heavier on the direct payments. The reason for that is that it's, uh, you know, we're talking about $16 billion in this. What's not, probably not going to be the first uh, tranche of funding, but the $16 billion that they've got to spend right now, uh, you can only do so much. USDA can, has to have a be able to find a home for that meat and that milk uh, and, and other commodities that they want to purchase, and they've got a lot of other ideas, produce, uh, uh, fruits and vegetables as, as well. But they've got to be able to find a place for that. It takes cold storage, obviously, for the uh, meat and uh, the milk, and uh, that's a challenge, and that's probably going to be a limiting factor as much as, as anything. Yeah, I, I've been uh, talking with listeners who have been asking me questions about this, and I mentioned this yesterday. They're very concerned. They don't understand why they're seeing people go hungry and they're seeing producers have to destroy a uh, product, whether it's milk or eggs or whatever it may be. And why is there these two things happening at the same time? And it, it really gets back, and a lot of people don't understand uh, what happens in between. Not only uh, are we concerned about losing uh, workers at processing plants, but that just kind of points out also the other parts of the supply chain, the delivery and everything else, and um, that processing is such a big part of this. I mean, yeah, you have uh, dairy producers, say, with lots of milk and some of it's being dumped. You can't just go get that milk. You have all that uh, raw milk. It still needs to be processed, and there there's so many steps in that system. So like you say, then you have to it's one thing to say, well, we'll give these food banks uh, uh, milk or some other perishable product, but they have to have some way for some cold storage and things like that. There are a lot of different aspects to this. It's 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 a little more complicated than it would seem. Yeah, if you had this, you know, to back up the, the, the root of all of this was this huge uh, the shutdown of food service and restaurants and schools and universities. There was so much food. That that's where it went, and it was packaged a certain way, it was uh, distributed a certain way, it was labeled a certain way, and a lot of it was perishable, and all of a sudden it had no place to go. I talked to folks in the egg, uh, egg industry, just take one small sector. One-third of the eggs that are produced, roughly, uh, are broken. At the, they're immediately broken into... A liquid product, which goes into manufacturing, it goes into uh, uh, the the egg patties that you get at uh, your breakfast sandwich. It goes into all sorts of ice, all sorts of products, um, and all of a sudden these egg uh, egg operations uh, they're not set up to, to uh, pack shell eggs, and so there was a that's a tremendous problem in the egg industry, and that's just one one segment where you have have these uh, disruptions yeah that's that's a good point and i think something we're all learning about we have this great system this food supply chain but it's very specific it it it, when it works Mm -hmm. and it seems to most of the time it works very well very efficiently but it's very 
strictly, uh, as you said, set up for specific markets and specific delivery types and things like that, then when something like this, like, like COVID-19 comes along and disrupts that, it, it's hard to adjust. It may not have the, the system may work good when in most cases, but it doesn't seem to have a lot of flexibility for quick changes like we're de- trying to deal with right now. Phil, thanks a lot. Stay safe, and right. we'll talk with you again soon. Okay. Take care. So we're still waiting. Phil says we may not hear today from USDA about their relief uh, package for uh, agriculture. It may slip into Monday, but there's still a chance for today. We'll keep watching that and uh, see what they come up with. Up next, weather. Wow, a lot of uh, snow around here in mid-April around the country. We're going to talk with Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. That's next on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we're hearing a lot about a rolling start to reopening the economy. I was thinking as well, we're going to have a rolling start to opening up spring activity. We thought we were kind of into it, and then all of a sudden cold and snow moves across a good part of the country. Let's talk about weather with Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, thank you for joining us. Hope you are well. Uh, what's, uh, what's with all this cold and snow across uh, the country here in the mid part of April? You know, as a former state climatologist in South Dakota, we just wanted to share what we have in the Dakotas <laughs> with the rest of the Midwest. <laughs> now, yeah, um, I think we could we could use a little more social distancing from the snow. I think. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the good. I mean, you are correct. Uh, you know, there's snow, there was a decent amount of snow from southeast Nebraska, northeast Kansas. Uh, southern Iowa, northern Missouri, over in Illinois, continuing to work its way across the middle part of the Corn Belt right now. Some places up to 10 inches of snow. Um, at the, the, I mean, the positive of snow in the middle of April is it will not last long. Uh, we have warm temperatures coming this weekend. Between that and the high sun angle and some wind, it will probably make quick work of this. The, the downside, and it's not a huge downside, is, you know, those, that 10 inches of snow is probably another inch of water in those areas it's going to be putting on the ground. Uh, fortunately for most of the area that that went over, they have been somewhat drier over the last, you know, even going back 90 days or so or longer. So if there, there's some soil moisture capacity can take this up. will probably not be too detrimental. The offside of this has been the cold that's been a real problem with this for a wide range of crops uh, uh, that has been, you know, the, the, the specialty crop folks, tree fruits, alfalfa, winter wheat, uh, we're trying to gather information on what's happened with those because it looks like they are, you know, they've, they've taken uh, some of the brunt of that cold. Uh, we're still trying to figure out how, how badly and how far things along and how much they were damaged. Certainly our tree fruits and things like that were hurt. Uh, alfalfas may have some problems. 
Uh, but it, we also did hear that there were some people had corn in the ground already. Heard one mm-hmm. report of West Central Illinois, somebody had all their corn in the ground. And uh, we had probably put their soil temperatures down well into the 40s, maybe even the 30s. So we're going to have to see how, how much damage that did to, the, to those crops that are already in the ground. Yeah, I'm in West Central Illinois. Yeah, there was a lot of planting done last week. We'd had soil temperatures up into the 50s, and as you said, now things have really dropped, so we'll see what impact that has. You also mentioned something about some drier areas. For those in, in very wet areas, which is a lot of uh, uh, the country, uh, sometimes we forget there are areas that have been dry. Uh, how big an area is that? Well, I, the, 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 and, and the area that I talked about was dry, really has not been problematic. It's just been dry, somewhat drier. Uh, it was a fairly narrow band. Uh, we do have an area in, in Kansas, Kansas, Nebraska, and southwest Iowa that's had less than half of average precipitation, I think, going back 60 to 90 days. But we were, we were wet enough last fall that that wasn't really a problem. The, the drier area problems are more west and far south. Uh, southern Texas has get, got some problems down the Four Corners area, up into Colorado and the Pacific Northwest, and even in the southeast uh, down in Florida, they have some dry areas. So we do have we do have dry areas around some of these pockets that, that are fairly serious. But the, the middle main part of the ag sector in the U.S. is uh, you know, looking for a little bit of dryness right now, I would say. The, the dryness is not too much of an issue in any of those places. The reports we're hearing mostly is, you know, they, the, 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 the driest we're hearing on soils in any of the Midwest ag areas, uh, it's been dry enough, could maybe use a little rain, but it's been appropriate, like you mentioned, with some planting being able to go on already. We're talking with Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. So, Dennis, we keep hoping we're turning a page and getting to something better. After today, as we start getting into the weekend and next week, have have we now turned that page on that really cold weather, and are we going to start the warm-up? We're going to cross our fingers and say this is the last of the snow that we're going to see most of the areas. thought we'd seen that already, but, you know, we're getting pretty late at this point. Um, I think we are going to be turning this uh, uh, enough now that we do start getting again back to some warmer temperatures uh, not really warm but you know 60s and 70s so we'll, we'll start to dry things out again and we should get back to planting activity into next week our soils should rebound relatively quickly and start getting into in, into planting again the downside of this is that we still have precipitation chances Right now, the precipitation chances are not huge, but in the 6 to 10 day, 8 to 14 day, and then the outlooks that were just released for May, much of the Midwest area and plains leans a little bit towards the wet side. Great Lakes area for May and eastern Corn Belt has less of a chance of being wetter than average. Now, the areas that are expected to be wetter than average, the, the probabilities are not high, so let's, we don't want to get too uptight or too concerned about that but a lot of those areas are falling on soils that are still relatively wet or quite wet so any additional precipitation is not a good thing so the take-home message i'd say on on planting is we mentioned fits and starts earlier i think i think we're going to get there there's going to be windows people are going to be able to take advantage of them but it's we're you know we're not going to be able to go gangbusters and we're going to be done 
going to have to grab opportunities when when temperatures are right, when soils are dry enough to be able to move ahead. So so I think it's going to be fits and starts. Still going to be a little bit of slow going, but we'll get there. Again, in using the terms of of today, the, a rolling start kind of to uh, planting than it sounds like with those various windows in different parts of the country. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, our share of uh, severe weather already uh, this spring. Uh, is anything shaping up there as we get into more in the spring? Of, should we be um, even more on the watch for some severe weather or can we tell that? Uh, right now we can't tell too much more about severe weather at this point. Um, we are climatologically getting into the most likely time of year for severe weather. Um, you are correct. We have had some, uh, you know, the, the bulk of the severe has been further south in the southeast part of the U.S., but we have had some decent-sized hail and a few tornadoes um, up into uh, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio have had some. I've heard reports of a few-inch-sized hail even over in Illinois. That's that's pretty good for that far east in the Corn Belt. Climatologically, uh, you know, this is the time of year where it's more likely chances for hail, um, hail, tornadoes, those kinds of things. So we obviously always do want to be aware and be ready to deal with those. Um, and I guess, you know, given everything else that we have going on with in agriculture and in society as a whole, it's easy to be distracted because of these other things. We, want, we don't want to lose track of the potential for, for, for severe weather to have on us. So make sure you've got a weather radio. Make sure you've got your phone turned on so that the, the alerts can uh, get to you wherever you are and be able to tell you. Don't plan on using warning sirens because warning sirens are only made for for people who are outdoors for the most part. Don't don't plan on those. Make sure that you are you have uh, ways of getting this information wherever and whenever you are. You know that's an interesting point. Usually this time of year we're really focused on weather, but with all else that's going on, it's easy to be distracted and overlook some of those things you just mentioned. It, it really is, and that's why you know we're we're trying to redouble our efforts as much as we can to to remind people, hey, you know, we're not the primary focus of, of what's going on right now, but don't lose track of these other things because there are other problems that can happen. That's why we're also trying to make sure we're glad to hear that you're continuing to communicate about planting issues and, and what's happening with, with that uh, part of, of, of agriculture and dealing with those issues. Because, uh, you know, we have do have so many other issues from the economy and from the, you know, the, the, the health issues that we can we we can only handle so many different things. So, um, you know, maybe weather is a nice distraction. I don't know. <laughs> so and I, I guess that's what I kind of chosen, too, as I'm looking at the snow outside my window here. It's, you know, mid-April. I'm not excited about snow, but it has been very pretty. And uh, you know, kind of try to enjoy that part of it. All right. Well, thanks for sharing information. Uh, please don't uh, don't go out of your way to share snow. You, you can have that, okay? Thanks, Dennis. <laughs> well, you know, we want everyone to enjoy that, the beauty that is snow. So, <laughs> okay. Stay well. Thank you. Dennis Toddy, Director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. Up next, let's look at the markets and all that's going on impacting the markets and the ag economy and there's so much to, to work our way through here we'll do that with arlen suderman chief commodities economist with intl fc stone up next on aoa
heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We're joined by Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, hope you are well. Thanks for being with us. Good to be back here, Mike. Yeah, we're staying well and uh, adjusting to this working remotely thing. Yeah. You know, early on in this uh, crisis, it seemed like the impact was not as great on agriculture, but now it seems to really be hitting agriculture in a lot of different ways uh, with the uh, uh, the shutdown of some processing plants and the, the lack of, de- I wouldn't say lack of demand, but a lack of uh, distribution, being able to get product to people who need it, the changing in the marketplace with the closing of the, the food service sector and moving to just to the more to the retail sector, the ripple effect through agriculture. We know the on the biofuel side, the people not driving that's really impacted uh, the ethanol industry it just seems like everything seems to be kind of falling down on agriculture at the same time now it really does and 30 years ago we were exporting about 40 percent of our corn um 20 years ago that it came down to about 20 percent and uh now we're exporting about 12 percent of our corn that really represents kind of a an evolution of our industry. Over the last 20 years, we have built up a strong, solid domestic demand base that we thought anyway was strong and solid and would be there uh, based on an integrated livestock industry and that would help stabilize it and based on the biofuels program, which should have mandated blending levels of, of ethanol and, and biodiesel, et cetera. And so we thought that that was a fairly inelastic demand base that would really serve us well. And within a matter of, of uh, a very short time, a week to 10 days or so, uh, we totally dismantled significant segments of that demand base, uh, totally with black swan event, something unexpected that we would see that kind of damage happen to the industry. And now we're trying to hang on until we can get America back to work again and get some sense of normalcy once again. But it's it's really having a, a big negative effect with both the biofuel and the livestock industry now. I mentioned this earlier. Um, we have a very efficient, for the most part, system when it comes to our food chain of distribution and moving product. But we are seeing that if... You know, this is something unforeseen, but when something like this happens and you're trying to make dramatic changes, we're seeing that it's, while efficient, it may not be the most flexible system. It, it's kind of, it's designed to put certain products in certain ways in certain places, and it's hard to make dramatic changes in that system on the fly. Yeah, and that's kind of the trade off um, building a strong, stable demand base 
you lose some flexibility. And we really didn't see the need for that flexibility when it was functioning well until something kind of gives it a flat tire and all of a sudden everything starts to fall apart in that system. And especially our livestock industry that's really built on just-in-time supply all the way from birth up to the uh, the grocery store meat counter, and uh, now it's all been disrupted. So now we're looking at uh, how to reopen the economy, and it looks like it's going to be in phases and kind of a, a rolling startup. Uh, how do you see that playing out, and how you how do you see this economy restarting? Well, I think, first of all, it's a positive. That combined with the fact that there have been some very positive results announced here over the last 24 to 48 hours on some treatments for coronavirus uh, are two key ingredients that's giving a sense of optimism to the markets. Because, A, if we have a treatment, we don't worry as much about coronavirus. So fear is less of an inhibitor in economic activity and commerce and people getting out and about and starting to drive once again. If I know if I'm going to get it, that there's an effective treatment um, that will reduce my threat of dying, then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more like getting the influenza. We don't let fear of influenza really stop us from going about our daily activities. Maybe we have a little more caution, but we still go about our daily activities. Uh, and, and the other thing is just a plan to be able to get back going again. Um, there's that sense of optimism going forward. I, you know, there's, the president said there's 29 states that are at the point or close to the point of being able to start on this plan. And I would anticipate um, that uh, we will, and that's basically states that will be implementing it by May 1st. It, now, that still doesn't put us all the way back to work, but it does slowly start to get people driving again, slowly get them starting to make purchases. Um, I think restaurants are going to be one of the last sectors to get back open again and functioning as people have to get that comfort level of being in a crowded area once again, and restaurants are going to have to remove some tables and spread things out. I just got off a webinar with our man in China uh, who heads up our Shanghai office, and he's talking about how the restaurants there are just starting now to try to get back to some sense of normalcy, but with tables spaced out more, et cetera. And I think that's going to continue to suppress domestic meat production or demand uh, for a little bit longer. Ethanol, though, um, driving should start to see, particularly if we see some rural states getting back to driving where more miles are driven, uh, we should slowly start to see some improvement in May, picking up momentum in the month of June. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. All right, let's look at these grain markets as uh, we try to get planting going as soon as this weather clears up some more. Uh, what are you looking at as far as the grain prices? Well, I think they're going to struggle for a little while, um, particularly the corn side. Soybeans, I think the old crop fundamentals are going to struggle more. China is simply not buying soybeans from us, and I really don't expect them to for a while. I think as we get into the summer, they're going to be more aggressive in buying for fall delivery. 
Um, and so I think the new marketing year is going to benefit more than the current marketing year. The change to over takes place on September 1, but they'll start buying ahead of time through the summer, I think. I think they'll be aggressive in taking shipment this fall, uh, and so that'll be more of a benefit this fall, but kind of a delayed impact. On the wheat side, we do see some more opportunity. Uh, we see dryness in, in uh, Ukraine and uh, southern Russia. Uh, we have seen some showers this week move across that area where it's been extremely dry, but it was predominantly less than a quarter to a half inch, depending on where you're at. And they're going back toward a drier pattern once again. And I think that's going to start taking the top off the crop, not a crop failure because we had some good subsoil moisture, um, but it does start to erode some of that. And I think it's the other thing to remember is the markets have really been factoring in a worst-case scenario. And we've got trillions of dollars of fiscal and monetary policy money coming into the economy. And a lot of that money is going to find its way into the markets. And it's going to be searching for which asset and asset classes have the most opportunity for some inflationary pressures in the months and years ahead. Uh, will part of ag be involved in that? I think that's a key question that we could get a little bit of an uh, up support at some point as we go through the year just from the tailwinds of that money flow as they kind of search out the markets that have some opportunity after the worst-case scenarios have already been priced in. Wow, you, you, just, you talked about taking the top off a crop that hasn't even been planted yet. Well, yeah, exactly right. And uh, when we look at, again, I don't want to get anyone overly bullish here with my comments because uh, I'm still not even willing to guarantee that the bottoms are in in this market um, because I think we have more negative news to go on the biofuel side as we do some more shutdowns, et cetera. And if we have good growing season this summer, uh, we could certainly add to our surpluses in corn and soybeans. Um, but uh, at the same time, the market is kind of has that negative bias to it now, trying to price in as much negativity as it can. And, and that does tend to say longer term, maybe you have a little bit more upside potential than downside. Just hard to see, especially the corn market, being able to make a major move up without some kind of a significant rebound in ethanol, right? There is an avenue to $4 corn, but a lot of things have to come. And what has to come is we need to see corn lose about three, three and a half, four million. We want USDA said on March 1st. That's possible. We need to see a short safrina corn crop, and they are dealing with some dryness in the southern third of that belt that could see us knock off five to 10 million metric tons. Will it? I don't know, but that's possible. We need to see the dryness in Ukraine's corn belt continue. Will that happen? I don't know, but it is possible. If you get all of those things coming together, that possibility is there. Would I build my entire marketing plan on it? No. Uh, but at the same time, there is that possibility, and I would maintain some flexibility in my marketing plan. Yeah, it takes a lot of those pieces coming together to make that happen. We'll see what happens indeed uh, moving forward. Arlen, as always, Thanks for being with us. Stay well. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. 
Well, we know that the dairy industry is really struggling, coming off uh, several years of uh, struggling. And just when things were starting to look better, then COVID-19 comes along. We're hearing about milk dumping and things like that. We're going to talk about the dairy industry with Mark Stevenson, Director of Dairy Policy Analysis for the University of Wisconsin-Madison, next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. As we look at the dairy industry and the struggles uh, it's dealing with right now through COVID-19, we're joined by Mark Stevenson, Director of Dairy Policy Analysis for the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Mark, thank you for joining us. Uh, what's, what's the latest? What can you tell us about uh, the state of the dairy uh, industry and the dairy economy right now? Well, I'll be happy to try to give you a thumbnail sketch. I mean, there's certainly a lot of chaos going on. Um, behind the scenes, there's been quite a lot of reconfiguration as milk is moving um, from some of the plants that it had been going into into the greater demand that we're seeing in some operations like fluid milk plants. So um, the sales channels are changing, and so are the processing channels a bit. We've also had some farmers that have been asked to uh, pull the plug and dispose of their milk because there just haven't been enough uh, places uh, that, are, that can handle the volume at this point in time. So certainly there's been disruption um, on farms, but um, we're, we're hoping that some of that will get ironed out. Uh, we've probably got too much milk on the market right now, and that will need to be reduced um, so that we can get to a level that uh, that the channels can handle. I know a lot of people are, are saying, how can there be a shortage of food at the same time like dairy producers are, are dumping milk? How can those two things be going on at the same time? It's making us uh, uh, more aware of the of the supply chain and all the parts in that chain. Yeah, and, you know, it, it does get down to uh, do we have product in the right place at the right time. Um, and, you know, that's meeting a customer where they are. And I think it's important to remember that, uh, you know, just prior to a, a few weeks ago, we had, you know, maybe not quite half, but at least uh, a third and more than that, that were eating out of the home. So we knew how to do that. We were moving dairy products, cheese, butter, beverage, milk, other things into restaurant channels and institutional channels. and immediately overnight that switched uh, to where we're purchasing much more of our product out of retail stores and grocery stores so that means that we don't always have the right package sizes available Um, we're having uh, a little bit of difficulty getting them there on time so food is available we're we're producing as much as we did before um, but we're consuming it in different locations so some of that's just a a time and place um, difference right now, but we'll get that figured out. Would large or significant government purchases of product 
be make a significant difference? Would it be very helpful? It would be helpful, and I think helpful on uh, two ends. Uh, one end is that it would help with the demand for product, um, and that, whether that's you know green beans that are being grown down south somewhere or whether that's milk, cheese, and dairy products uh, produced up here. But we also have many more people who are in the category of being food needy right now. Um, just a tremendous number of people who have lost their jobs, uh, don't have adequate incomes to be purchasing food. And, you know, we've seen clips in some of the evening news pieces where you've got cars lined up a mile long or more trying to drive through and get a bag of groceries or, a, you know, a box of, of food items. So there is need, and uh, we, uh, we would like to make sure we get those food uh, items into that channel. There have been calls for reopening, uh, like, dairy margin coverage programs and things like that. Uh, we wait and see what happens there. How's, how impactful could that be? It would certainly help. Um, in December, when farmers were making their determination about the coverage levels for this 2020 year, um, the markets weren't forecasting any payments um, at all. And so a lot of people didn't purchase coverage or didn't buy up at levels that would have given them protection. But right now we're looking at uh, margins that may be as low as $5 um, here in the next couple of months. And, you know, at a 950 level of coverage, you know, you're talking about four, four and a half dollars uh, worth of payments under a program like that. That's really significant. Um, Secretary Purdue has indicated that he resists that notion, that farms had their chance, and he uh, doesn't want to open that up. But I think, with all respect, that that's not his decision to make. Congress will have to uh, make a decision about whether um, in some additional bill that might be passed they would reopen that or not. So I think we're just at a wait-and-see level. Mark, we know we've been losing dairy farms already. Uh, any projections on what this could mean? Is Would that accelerate that uh, decline, you think, in, in the number of dairy farms? Or what do, what do you see as the lasting impact of this on the dairy industry? Well, this comes at a really bad time. You know, we... Uh, we have the advantage in Wisconsin, at least, of tracking uh, licensed dairy farm numbers every month. And it hit its peak in December and, and January of this, uh, this current year at a 10% rate of loss. But in February and March, it started to slow down. We were getting down around 9.5% instead of 10% loss. And the trajectory looked much better, but then, of course, came you know the coronavirus. Um, I don't know what the outcomes are going to be yet. We'll watch that and see, but it can't be good. It's going to take us at least back, in my opinion, to that 10% loss level and probably above that. Um, after five years, farms are just on the ropes anyway, and this year is going to be a lower average milk price year than we've seen in any of the last five. So. I think this is just an enormous challenge for dairy farmers. Yeah, a year that started off with some hope and optimism is certainly things have changed and very challenging indeed. Mark, as always, thank you for being with us. Stay well. You're very welcome, and uh, you too, Mike. Thank you. Mark Stevenson, Director of Dairy Policy Analysis at the University of Wisconsin, 
Madison. With that, we wrap it up for another, uh, well, unbelievable week. Just so many things happening that uh, we never thought would be happening, but we're all dealing with it different ways. Stay safe, take care of each other, and uh, we'll work together and get through this. And uh, back on Monday with the very latest for you, please have a safe weekend. Be careful. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.